My name is Pilleter. I'm here with Cartrell Payne. Today is May 11th, 2022. We're here again with Mickey Royal to discuss many things. Hi, Mickey. How you doing? All right, cool. Okay, I wanted to ask Mickey, like, I saw on your Facebook page, like, you were involved with, like, the Nation of Islam and, and I guess the Five Percenter Movement. Like, can you tell me about that? Like, how you got involved with the, with that? Well, I don't know if you know my background or my bio. My father's from Mali and my mother was a Black Panther. So I grew up in, a, in a, kind of an Islamic household. My mother's atheist. So, you know, that went back and forth. But my father's Sunni Muslim. He was primarily raised in the Soviet Union because he was a child soldier. You can find that on Amazon. You can find it in my uh, bio. And uh, I've spoken about it many times in uh, interviews. So when I was 13, and I began my real criminal career and my parents had gotten divorced slightly before that, a couple of years before that. So my mother had cancer. So I was just running them up, you know, and I uh, had an older brother. We were doing our thing. You can see the pictures with me 13 with the feeler suit and the gold chains and the beeper and the watch and everything that should be in my Facebook pictures. And I think that picture is also in um, my book, Pimpin' Ain't Easy. So she felt that I was not going to live to be 16, 17, 18, the way I was going. I already been shot at 14 in the chest. So, and you know, done a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff got done. So at around 14 and a half, 15, she basically dropped me off there and said, go with these men. So I was with the Nation of Islam. I stopped all of that kind of criminal stuff. And uh, for about two years, from 15 to about, 17 then but i can't really say i stopped i had one foot in one foot out but my beliefs at the time were sincere and um you can't you know you can you can you no matter how you sneak up on the mirror is always going to look you in the eyes you can convince i can convince a whole room full of them that i had changed but never yourself and your true nature is going to always find a way to see through so by the time i was 19 i was back into the life again but through my formative years, they were a very big part of it. I sold my bean pies. I did everything I was uh, supposed to do within the organization. And I was a true believer at the time, you know, in, uh, in high school. I, when I say high school, don't try to keep up with the years because I was in high school six years. I did 9th, 10th, 11th, 11th, 12th, and 12th because I was really, really busy. I, I moved out at 14. so. When I tell people high school, they don't understand that's from 1986 to 1992. I got high school until I was 20. So when I say high school, people be trying to count on their fingers. I'm like, no, I was in high school a very long time. Wow, I mean, that's weird. I mean, like, what was it like being on your own but all, at 14? Because you know, like me, like most 14 year olds, I still live with my parents and I really wasn't making any type of real money. So I couldn't imagine like being that young and you're already involved. In I never really saw myself as young. I, I actually feel younger now than I've ever felt in my life. Uh, at 14, I just felt I was grown and I felt you were really old if you were like 21, you know, 20. But uh, I was... Uh, Rolling with uh, Mike Conception at the time, uh, Barefoot Pookie, you can look up those two names. Uh, part of the, we all in the same gang project because I was, I was writing for uh, Warner Brothers at the time. It was a company called Grand Jury Warner Brothers owned by Michael Conception. That was that we all in the same gang project.
And it was cool. Excuse me, I'm lighting a cigarette. It was cool. I was living with my brother. He was 17. I was still going to school. I was living between him and Mike Conception's house. And But I still went to school because I, I was basically a star there. So I didn't go to school for those kind of other reasons. I went to school because I got a lot of attention there. I was popular and I knew all the answers in class. I just didn't do homework because I had grown-up stuff to do once I lived, once I left home. But it, it, I mean, you gotta understand 1986 was a serious time, 87, 88. It, it really weren't no children walking around. I mean, my brother and I, I, mean, I couldn't drive, but the car I had, he would drive and he had his own car. We'd be out on Crenshaw. He had the, he had a bug with some Porsche alloy rims on it. He had a Nissan truck with a lot of bumps in it. You see me, us in the picture standing in front of it, you know, so. It was cool. I mean, I'd be at school buying like 15 or 20 girls lunches because I always had at least, even back then, at least five, six, seven hundred dollars in my pocket, which wasn't a lot, but that was a lot to have back then being in seventh and eighth grade. And lunch was only a dollar fifty. So I could I could treat the class every day if I wanted to all year and it wouldn't have hurt me. So I was always very popular, you know. And uh it didn't seem weird. I, I now my son would be 29 years old this year. And I still look at him as a baby. And I, I can remember thinking the things I was doing at 13, 14, 15, we, we weren't really children, you know? I mean, you, you got a point about that. Like, like it's like what Snoop from, you know Snoop, she's like the female actress who was like on The Wire. Yeah. It's like she said, she said that um, when you were a young juvenile, like you grow up fast, like, she murdered somebody when she was 14 and she spent like seven years in jail. And so she really didn't have a childhood. I mean, I had one at eight, nine, you know, I, I rode bicycles and stuff and uh, stuff like that. But uh, childhood, once I, once I hit like puberty, that was over with, you know, and, and it wasn't just me, I'm not special. No one around me was doing those things. We were doing grown up things, you know, whether they were uh, illegal most of the time, sometimes legal. You know, whatever they were doing, people my age were doing things. I mean, you had guys in, in seventh, eighth grade, they had after school jobs at uh, McDonald's then. You know, they were doing adult things. They were working and, and, and stuff like that. We, we just didn't play, you know? We, that's probably why people my age now play so much. I see people, you know, my age playing with video games and stuff like that. Maybe that's because they didn't get a chance to. I mean, that's probably true, I mean. Oh, yeah, he said you lived with my conception. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard about him. Like, he was in this thing in the 90s. He was like a producer of this music video, something called, I don't know if it was called Stop the Violence or Self Destruction, but oh, yeah, like a lot of West Coast rappers on it. Right. It was called we are, We're All in the Same Gang. You can YouTube it. It's up there. It got all these rappers on it, MC Hammer and all of them. And I was a staff writer for them. So I was a part of that project. I was writing a lot of people, a lot of group songs and stuff like that. And uh, Michael Sampson is one of the original founders of the Crips Gang in 1971. He's one of the original 11. With Raymond Washington, Tookie, all of that. So if you Google his name, a lot of other stuff should come up. You know, everybody knows who that is. And Barefoot Pookie was always there. He used to pick me up from school and we'd go, Johnny J was doing my music back then. He's dead now, but he was one of Tupac's producers. Uh, he did that Candyman uh, knocking the boots and stuff like that. So my aim was more so towards that, but still, everybody was still doing criminal activities. 
I mean, on a major on a major scale, it was just part of LA life in the eighties. You know, that was just it wasn't a big deal. Men, women, boys, girls, everybody was involved in some kind of way. You know, it just went with it. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, it's like uh, like what Henry Hill said. You know, when he was growing up, he said that every almost everyone in the neighborhood they either were were related to the mafia guys or they you know like they were the mafia yeah it's it just it was just a part it's just it's there it's always been there i didn't invent it it was there when i when i as far back as i can remember and i'll be 50 this year so it goes back that far you know i knew who mike was he was a legend already you know so and it was like a privilege to be around him i've worked with russians i've dealt with wise guys you know, I put a uh, memorial on my page for my former boss. Uh, his father was with the Lucchese's, high ranking. That's the same group from uh, Goodfellas, but they primarily come from the, I deal with the Colombo family and the Milano family out of uh, out of Los Angeles. Nobody else though, just, well, I never dealt with any Lucchese, just Colombo and Milano. So that's two of the 24 families, but he was my uh, mentor for like 12 years straight. I never left his side. And that's during my activity doing other stuff. In the daytime, I was with him at night. I was doing what I do. Had my stables and everything, ran gambling operations, all kinds of stuff. That was just part of life. You know, you don't you, you don't think of it as anything else because that's what you grew up in. You know, it's just all around you in some kind of way. And when you live in a big city like LA, that's really overpriced. I didn't know anyone who was just working a square job and surviving. Everybody was working a square job and they had some hustle on the side. If no more than selling like pies and cakes on the corner or like old clothes, they might have a little swap me stand or she's selling beauty products or doing hair on the weekend. She had, she was like a teacher Monday through Friday, but she did hair Saturday and Sunday because you can't survive in LA off one income unless you're just like filthy rich. And it's even worse now. So everybody I knew had something going. Yeah, that reminds me of like, um, you know, Sanford and Son, like, Sanford and Son, like, I think it took place in either Watts or maybe Compton, but on the show, like, you know, Fred Sanford is portrayed as like a hustler, you know, he sells junk and stuff like that. Yeah, that's 9414 South Central Avenue. That place is still there. We used to go buy it on the bus when I was in high school. I went to school in Watts for three years, and then my second three years I did at uh, Washington High School. I did Bourbon Day three years, 19th, 11th, and then I went to Washington, and then 11th, 12th, and 12th. And that's uh that's where the crib started on 108th and Dinker. Oh yeah, I wanted to ask. Um, I don't know if you saw the video of like Charleston White getting into the fight with like a uh, Ayatollah Marv and like Melvin Farmer. You know, like I think that guy's like, you know, I don't know what his problem is or whatever. But we're not from LA. I think he's yeah, from- I, yeah, I know he's from like Texas. Yeah, he, he doesn't understand. I mean, if you want to poke fun at the mafia and you live in Alaska, well, their impact is not big on your life and you don't really know that the strength of their influence. All you see is what you see on television. So you can do that. But if you come up in New York and New Jersey, you have a different perspective on these men because you realize that they control the unions, they control where you work, they control this, that, and the other. Um, Donald Trump did real estate in New York for many years. There's no way in the world he would have got a building built in Manhattan if not with organized crime because they'll just sit on it. You know, you have to pay that unseen tax. So you don't understand their power and their influence unless you live over there. 
So it's a difference. So Charleston White comes in with an attitude out of uh, Texas. All he knows is television and what the imitators and the young boys and the ones sagging their pants. That's really not the majority, you know, and uh, it's serious people, serious millionaires doing serious things. And, you know, he just sees it from one perspective, like the guy from Alaska might think, oh, Goodfellas is funny. No, those are real people who got their heads split open for small things, big things, medium things. It was just a way of doing business, you know, like when um, um, Kodak Black said what he said about Laura London. Well, when he came back to L.A., he got shot. I mean, he doesn't understand the L.A. culture and how it gets down. It's always been this way. You know, it goes back to the 50s with the Slauson boys and the businessmen and Bunchy Carter and all of them. I mean, that's just Los Angeles. That's just the way it goes. It's always been that way. Long before my parents got there, it was just, that's just it, you know? And, I mean, yeah. Um, like, got to get into it with a couple of guys, Mob James and stuff. And he wouldn't do that if he were from L.A. He just doesn't understand, you know? He's entitled to his own opinions, but you know most of these dudes are, are psychopaths, and I mean it is what it is. I mean, yeah, like LA is so filled with gangs. Like you guys even have gangs you wouldn't expect, like lesbian skater gangs and surfer gangs, and even the police are a gang. It's like so many gangs. Any gangs in LA that's within the LAPD? I know the Vikings is one of them. I forgot something Vanguard and the Vikings, they have the Minnesota Vikings tattoo on their arm. Uh, you got the Huntington Park Killers. That's the Huntington Police Department. The HPKs, they spray painted on the wall. They don't they don't arrest subjects. Their thing is pull them over, shoot them. So, you know, I don't go through Huntington Park, but if they suspect you of anything, they just blow your brains out. I mean, that's just, this is not inside information. You can Google these things. Just Google Huntington Park Killers or HPK. I mean, Google LAPD, the Vikings. Watch what pops up. They've been around for years. I've been seeing those tattoos in and out of county since the eighties. You know, so I, I, I know that they exist. I know that they have meetings. I know what they do. A lot of them sell drugs. A lot of them take, you know, hits for hire. You know? yeah, it's, yeah, it's like that TV show, like uh, The Shield that was on FX a couple of years ago. Oh yeah, I've never watched that. I don't watch much TV. I haven't owned a television in 13 years. Uh, I see what I see. I have a computer, so I see what I see on that. And I put on Tubi. I watch the same same old movies, but I'm not really much of a TV person. I read more books than I watch television programs. I mean, I remember TV from the '80s, though. I used to watch a lot of it. You know, different strokes, Fantasy Island, but uh, not in a while. I've seen certain things, but I pretty much watch the same old movies over and over. Same old yeah. DVDs. Oh, you said you watch Family Matters. No, no, Fantasy Island. Oh, yeah. I, I, I saw reruns of that. I grew up in the 80s, so there wasn't no Family Matters then. <laughs> I remember the Cosby Show. I used to watch that every week. Yeah, you know, some people criticized the Cosby Show because they said that it wasn't really realistic, you know. Your average, and, you know, there was a lot of Black people who were, who were political who were mad at the show saying that you know, the show never discussed race or politics or, you know, black power and stuff like that on the show. Well, you know, it's not supposed to be realistic. It's television. That's the yeah, problem. You know, yeah, you know, it uh, being, there's no way Cosby would have got away with a, like a pro-black power speech on like 1980s television. Those white people wouldn't have let him do that. I mean, why would he give a pro-black power speech in his home? He's raising his children. He's not forming a political organization. 
it's just um it's just a, it was just a television program i mean i've seen a mallet fall on bugs bunny's head 52 times and he gets up and walks off i don't complain that that's not reality because if that anvil fell on my head it would split me all the way down to my ankles well i understand that one is make-believe and one is reality television is not a window that you're looking into someone's life it's a script it's, it's not reality romeo and juliet that's not reality you know it, it's designed to entertain you but sometimes people can be so comfortable in pain that when they don't see pain they become uncomfortable and that's pretty much what happened with the cosby show when it dealt with a lot of blacks they were comfortable with good times but not comfortable good times wasn't reality either you know uh what you want to call it television is not meant to be reality it's meant to be an escape from reality yeah, yeah I like the show because my life was totally different than that so i got a chance to watch something beautiful and then walk outside to see something ugly well, i don't want to see something ugly in my home when i got something ugly outside the door that means my whole life is just surrounded by ugliness no i mean i watch tv to escape from that i mean yeah you got a point because you know like I, I watched the interview where one of the screenwriters who like wrote good times he said that the original script for good times was a lot darker and more depressing and had like a lot of gangs in it but you know the network said it was like too sad so they like i guess you could say made it happier yeah i mean i don't watch those kinds of um i don't watch gangster movies i don't watch these little pimp films i've seen them you know in high school but when you start doing it you don't really watch it because you look at it going that's not true that's not true that's not i mean i watch it as entertainment you know but none of them are real they're just scripts in it they're funny and they're exciting to watch like watching die hard but you know or anything like that or lethal weapon but it's just entertainment if you ask a policeman how much of lethal weapon is true police life he's gonna say none of it he said that's yeah. not what we do. that doesn't happen but yeah. Yeah, like an average police officer doesn't get into gunfights like every day. No, I mean, even if they do, they don't jump out of four story windows, land on this, get the girl hair not get messed up. I said, no, that doesn't that doesn't really happen. You know, you see like the hero in the movie, he gets shot in one scene, next scene, he's walking out the hospital. That's a lot in between there. You know, it's a lot in between there when you handcuffed to that gurney like I have been with tubes going up your nose and concentrating on inhaling and exhaling, which sometimes you forget during the process and you go in and out. They don't, I mean, that part is not on television, you know, or every time you go to prison, no matter what you've accumulated, when you come out, you start over with nothing. So you got to keep doing this over, keep doing this over. They don't tell you that either. You know, it's a lot they don't tell you because it's not, in, the television is not designed to be informative. It's just a tool of entertainment, a mindless distraction. That's all it is. So I watch dramatic television the same way i would watch cartoons it's all made up oh yeah um well like oh yeah like california has been going down the tubes recently like i don't know if you've heard about what's been happening in like san francisco and la no what's been happening Oh, well, you know, people have been stealing packages and stuff. And, you know, like I heard, like, I think it actually happened yesterday. Like this Vietnamese guy, he was running like this auto theft ring out of this boba shop. It was in San Francisco. He was doing this. Well, that's always been going on. I've been a part of several of those. That's, that's always been going on. I mean, that was when I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, I haven't stolen the car since I was 13. I was in seventh grade. Yeah, you do it all the time, and you steal them, and you drop them off at the 
place where they drop them off and they give you a thousand dollars and you go back and do another one. You know, but that that's you know, when I was a kid, sure. And uh in my teenage years, I knew well, I was like twenty. I knew a guy who had one going on, they were swapping VIN numbers, you know, getting like a totaled out Mercedes and buying the same year making model, you know, buy that and then find the same year making model, still it and then swap the VIN numbers on the engine and then re-register it and then sell it 20, 25. Yeah, that was that was like 30 something years ago. But yeah, California is it's very expensive to live there. So even if they have a, a auto theft ring going on, those people still have other jobs too. Because even with the auto theft ring, it's not really enough to to um to get to have a decent lifestyle as you would have in Mississippi, probably working one job and probably have a nice place to stay. Well, that's not the truth in California. I mean, one bedrooms in the hood go for almost 20 grand now. I mean, not 20 grand, two grand, you know, yeah, 1500. You know, like this was in San Francisco, so you already know the rent was high. Yeah. That's why they do it in New York. You wouldn't need a mob in Texas. A couple of operations in there set for life. In New York, the rent is so high. The cost of living is so high that they have to constantly be moving just for basic survival, what Stevie Wonder used to call living for the city. I mean, like yeah. yeah, that's why all the old social clubs at the mob has died out, you know, because due to a combination of the FBI, FBI, you know, scrutinizing them and also the rent going up, like those old social clubs that they used to have back in the day are pretty much closed. Like, I think they turned like the Bergen Hunt and Fish Club, you know, into like a nightclub now, you know, like somebody else well, bought it. They, learned, they should learn a lesson in 1957 with Appalachian. You can't gather like it's a reason you don't see Mickey Royal at players balls. I don't really do group mail affiliation unless I have to. Uh, and that's because we're going to do a job. If you see me in a car with four guys, I'm using the car with four girls. But if you see me in the car with four guys, we either on our way to something or just came back from something. You really don't want to disturb us. But other than that, no, I don't associate like that, because why would I be in a room full of uh, convicted felons and people who are committing currently federal crimes? I don't meet that kind of heat. I was actually doing this, so why would I conjugate with them, get on camera and say, this is what I do? That's kind of dumb. That reminds me of the rappers who commit crimes on Facebook Live. That's kind of stupid. The, the point being a criminal is to get away with it. So anonymity becomes your strength, you know? So they want to be popular. You don't want to be popular. When I grew up, we hid it from pictures. That's why I use the same pictures over and over. I have very few pictures of myself. Whenever they were taking pictures, I was either the one taking it or the, I would be the one standing off to the side. Why? Because I, I usually had warrants, so I was wanted for somewhere, something, somewhere for something or something like that. Why would I want my picture taken? So, you know, they, they've commercialized cr criminal activity, and that's why they're going to federal prisons in droves. Yeah, you know, you know like, you know, like social media is like the cop's best friend. Like I heard this one story that happened like last year, like this dummy, like I don't know if he was from a rival gang or not, but he was on Facebook Live and he was saying he and he was in his enemy's hood and he was saying, "Yo, pull up! Like you niggas ain't gonna do nothing. Pull up! You know I'm right here." And not surprisingly, they pulled up and they shot him. He survived, but they shot him a whole bunch of times. Yeah, I, I just don't understand it. I just got on the computer not too long ago. You know, I'm not. I didn't. I wasn't. Didn't have no website. I mean, what's John Gotti's email address? He doesn't have one. Why would a criminal want to be contacted? I mean, if you're really doing this full time and this is your life, you really don't watch television. I don't have time to watch. I don't watch television all the time. I just got into TV and I don't even own a television. I watch certain, I watch Tubi, you know, some of those old movies when I grew up, but I don't really be sitting in the house just 
doing that. If I'm sitting in the house, I'm writing. You know, I'm writing another book because I remember what I did. I remember the stories. Like in my book, Pimping Ain't Easy, but somebody's got to do it. I have like 30 pictures in that book, you know, because this actually happened. I actually did it. And I actually used some real names in there too. Mostly, yeah, they're pretty much all real names. I wrote that book from uh, LA County Jail on one case. I got out six weeks later and I went back for like five and a half years, got out, did two years of parole. And I've been off parole now two years and now I'm almost 50. I went in on right around 40. So that was basically a whole decade, you know? I mean, yeah, like these young gangsters today, like, I mean, you know, like they don't got no common sense. It's like, why did you sell yourself posing with money and guns on, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter? You don't think the feds are watching? I mean, I always assume the feds are watching uh, and I was before the internet. And you just always assume you're being followed. If not by the, the law enforcement agencies, you're being followed by someone who wants to be you or rob you or whatever. So, no, you, you really tiptoed lightly. You know, you did your job. And if you got a chance to, you came home. If not, you know, I rarely came home, especially when I was pimping, because that's a 24-hour thing, seven-day-a-week thing. You know, you'd be up for two, three days at a time. You're, you're always moving. You know, houses to me were just closets where I put my clothes and where I would shower. And, but I also had gym cards, you know, at the YMCA. I had one at this other gym. This is before Bally's and stuff and 24 Hour Fitness came along. It came along later. But uh, I wouldn't be at home much. I can't. I'm, I'm in the Valley. I'm going to New York. I'm going to Detroit. Uh, then I got to come back. I'm dealing in Orange County. I'm back up here. I'm picking up this. I'm Never stop. My biggest expense was fuel. <laughs> Because I was always in my car, you know, I'm always moving around. I, I got somewhere to be. So, you know, I don't see how they had a kind of time if they're supposed to be full time what they're doing. I mean, how does Mike Tyson have time when he that year when he in 1986, he had 18 fights that year. When does he have time to sit down and watch Rocky? Why would he sit down and watch boxing? He doesn't have time. He doesn't have a high school diploma. He didn't go to junior high school. He was training at that age. Floyd so Mayweather and them don't have prom pictures. They don't have that kind of time. He's training for the Olympics. That's a full-time job. That's yeah, you know, that's, that's what a lot of people don't seem to realize about the entertainment industry is that, you know, it's a job. Like, you know, a lot of people just think, to use an example, you know, like people, a lot of people just think, you know, the female porn star you see, oh, she's just sucking dick because she likes it. It's, it's like, no, she's getting paid to do that. You think she's just going to suck some random dude's dick she doesn't know if she's not getting money for it? Well, it's all a job. I mean, I've produced and directed over 500 adult films, you know, and uh, it's, it's just, it's just any other, it's no different than filming the Titanic. People, have, I usually let people uh, come to my sets and come to the studios where we film and the warehouses and the hotels. They'd be bored. I said, yeah, it's just acting. See, sometimes they'll say, whoa, he's giving it to her. You don't realize we shot that over the course of three days. They left, they took breaks, they had food, we have them catered. You know, they, they come back two days later, we shoot, we shoot out a sequence. I said, that's the part you don't see. You just see it run through and think it's reality television. It's not. It's no different than, there is no actual Hulk and he doesn't run through brick walls. That's a computerized green screen. I said, you try to do it and see what happens. I said, that's, that's not real. You know, sometimes people fuse fantasy and reality. Yeah, like, for example, like, you know, I, I found out like a couple recently, you know, like they don't even like the cum shot you see. It's not 
sometimes it's not even real cum. It's like some chemical stuff or whatever, like something they make, like special effect or whatever. We used to use, I used to use lotion and a pina colada drink mix because we have to, we have another shoot we're going to start in about 10 minutes. This guy is taking too long to ejaculate. It's a tube that we put under the penis and he's holding the tube. And the two is almost looks like a hypodermic needle and it comes right up to almost to the head. But as he's pulling back and forth, he's pushing the two and it squirts out. Half the time is not his actual ejaculation because sometimes we use guys three, four, five times a day and uh, they don't have anything left. So if he doesn't have anything left, then we fill the tube up. That's why the girl's rubbing it all on her mouth and stuff. There's mostly pina colada drink mix and a little bit of lotion for thickness. So yeah, no, I mean, you, you know that makes sense. Like I've always been skeptical of like those big cum shots you see in porn, and I'm like, no guy has that much cum in his body. It's like, just like no man can turn green and run through a wall. It's make believe. I mean, you've got to look at it like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. When Bugs Bunny blows Daffy Duck's beak around, in the very next scene, his beak is straight, and they go. But in the real life, if you shoot a duck in the face with a shotgun, it's gonna blow his brains out. But you recognize that that's not real, but it entertains you. Porn is no different. It's just, it's just a, a movie scene. Half the women in porn are married. Their husbands be sitting right there on the set. They'll laugh with that guy. They'll do scenes with the guy. But then when they go and cut, he gets up and goes his way. They're, they're not friends. They just you, you don't even know who you're working with most of the time until you get to the set. And right before she starts, she's like, oh, who am I working with today? Then he comes out. She doesn't know this guy from Adam. They haven't even said hello to each other. Half the time, they don't like each other. I've seen fights on the set, but then when it's, you know, time to roll them, oh, baby, I missed you. They're actors and actresses. That's all. Yeah, it's funny you said you've seen fights on the sets because, you know, like there's this infamous, infamous outtake, you know, from porn where this, I forgot what the guy's name was, but he fought like this other porn star named Max Black. You know, they were shooting a porn movie in Brazil and I don't know. I guess they got into an argument over which girl they were going to have sex for the movie, but but it, it was just dumb. Yeah, it's no different than uh, just like when uh, Isaiah Washington and I think Patrick Dempsey had a fight on the set of uh, some hospital movie, hospital uh, TV show. I forgot what it was called, ER or Doctor or something. I don't know, but they had a fist fight on the set. But once they say roll them, they go back to all smiles because that's their job and that's what they do. But you're still dealing with human beings and human emotions. So conflicts could arise. They could have had a fight because one backed in and parked too close to his car. Because when you're shooting, especially when you rent houses and locations, you might have 20 people there. Well, a driveway doesn't fit 20 people. So sometimes it's double parking, blocking people in. She may have to run up. It might be a chick that has to run out and go see about her child at a daycare. So we have to stop production for couple of hours so we shoot other scenes and then we come when she comes back we finish up that scene because we're going to edit it and it's going to blend right and everything like that so we have to put her in the same position if she was sweating we we spray her with baby oil so it looks like sweat if she was dry then we dry her off if she had on red lipstick when she left she can't come back without lipstick you know we have to uh make sure she looks exactly how she was she gets back in that position as if you're doing greco-roman wrestling and then it's an action so that we can have a clean blend you know, but things arise, you know, things happen. Girls have gone on their periods in the middle of scenes. That's why you'll see in the middle of a sex scene, it might just blend off into oral sex. That's because she started bleeding. So we couldn't finish the sex part. So we had to shoot the pop shot from oral. So the rest of it is just oral. Well, you don't see the, the bottom half of her body while she's doing that. That's because she has 
tampons and stuck up in her, you know, but you don't see all of that. It's just movie magic. That's all. I mean, yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, like, and you know, like the makeup, I don't know if you've seen like that, that uh, famous image on the internet where it says, you know, porn stars without makeup. You know, after I saw it, I was like, okay, without makeup, most of these women don't look too different from the women I see in supermarkets. Like, they look average without the makeup. They are the women you see in supermarkets. What, do you think they eat food pellets? No. They are the women you see in the supermarkets. You know, the actresses you see walking down the street, they go shopping. They're regular people. They drive regular cars. They don't drive space-flying cars. They don't come from the Euripides or anything like that. They come from Earth, and they drive cars, and their kids go to school, and things like that. They get married and have children and move away and they're just people. And you, you, I mean, that's how most women look without makeup. That's how most actresses look without makeup. That's how most teachers look without makeup. They're just people. Yeah, you know? I mean, there are a few women who look flawless without makeup. Like, yeah. I can't really name like a lot of women who look like flawless without makeup, except I don't know, maybe Maitland Ward. Like she looks good without makeup. I don't know who these people are. When I left that business, I didn't really associate. I, a lot of my Facebook friends used to work for me and stuff like that. And, but uh, it's not like I was into that industry. That was just part of the sex trade. You know, you're filming, you got escorts, you know, you're running call girls. Uh, you got women that just post a magazine. You got a whole ton of strippers that's paying you as part of your agency. So, you know, that was just one part of the job. You know, so it, it never, it was never really like my thing. I don't watch pornography. I made it. You know, I didn't, I didn't want, really watch box. I stopped watching boxing when I stopped boxing, because you know that was part of my life at one time. I had some time during the day, but it got to the point where I got so busy I couldn't train anymore. You know, never yeah. wanted to grow or nothing. I just enjoyed boxing. I boxed in leagues. I boxed in silver gloves, stuff like that as a youth and throughout my thirties. But most of my life has been martial arts related, as far as that's concerned. But you know, when you got an hour here, hour there, I would go bowling. I kept my ball and bag and stuff in my uh, trunk, my shoes and stuff. So I could squeeze in a game or two, maybe twice, three times a week. Because I only had an hour here, hour there. Maybe squeeze in some gym. You know, but other than that, that was my life. You know, all of it. It all goes on at one time. It's all a part of the same, the same organization. It's like, what do you do at IBM? Well, IBM has janitors who sweep the floor. They also have people who just deal with uh, payroll and uh, accounts receivable. They also have people who develop video games and computers inside. They also have people who test. That's all in the same building. It just depends on which floor you're going to for what specific job. Sex trade is no different. It's all connected and it all goes on at one time. So it's not like you do this, then you go to that, then you go to that. No, that's all in the course of 24 hours in the day. So there was never any really time to quote unquote go home. I had eight houses. I didn't really live in any of them. I had women in all those houses. They were doing in call. So I had clothes at several of them and stuff like that, but no, I had one place in the marina. I rarely saw that place. If I left food out when I opened up the door, it'd be this awful smell because I've been here in three and a half weeks. So and a lot of times I would come in and just be no electricity because I haven't been here in months. So the lights are off, you know, and I have to call and so I go get a room call and they get it back on tomorrow by five like that. And I won't go sit there all night in the dark, no electricity, no no nothing so you know that kind of thing but when you're out there the, the work is outdoors the work is out and about and that's and it wasn't just work it's a lifestyle 
you know, it's just the life. You know, you may leave some uh, a dangerous situation. Now you have to go to this Hollywood party, and they weren't really parties. There weren't no music there. There weren't no paper hats and cake and shit like that. So you, you, you're dealing with that. Then you got to race all the way across on the other side of the city or in another city because you got to pick up some more money because I don't let it sit at the house longer than 48 hours. If I didn't pick it up, someone else picked it up. And it runs like clock on the machine and you have to deal with problems as they arise. And there were a lot of problems. That's how I know that most of these guys that get on the internet or they're lying. They're lying because they don't know the variables that come with it. They can't even tell you about it because they weren't there. They didn't do it. They saw the Mac a couple of times. They met some slutty girl. You know, she paid them a few little dollars. Their, her friend paid them a few little dollars. And then they want to come out and say they were pimp of the year. Uh, no, you weren't. You, you, you didn't do it. And if you did do it, you did it on a small level. Because I can tell because, and I can tell the ones that are lying. And I'll say 80% of them are just lying. Because you don't know the variables that come with that. If I talk to my, my uncle about Vietnam. Okay. Oh yeah, Mickey. Um... What, I, what I was saying uh, for a cutoff, I said if I were talking to my uncles about Vietnam, well, see, I wasn't there, and only thing I know about Vietnam is I saw Full Metal Jacket, I saw Heartbreak Ridge, and uh, I saw a couple of Rambo movies. So I know that they carried guns. And I know who their enemy was and they shot at him. But when he starts talking about the fall of Saigon and where he was and what unit and had the helicopter here and, and such and such hill, I have no idea what he's talking about. Because, see, I wasn't really there. So I don't engage in that conversation with him. I may sit and learn something. But if I open up my mouth and say I was in Iraq, a real Iraqi veteran would know I was lying within the first 30 seconds to a minute. Because he was actually there. So that's the way I am with a lot of them. As soon as they start talking about it and start using inappropriate slang, I say, yeah, I saw that movie too, but you didn't do it. You weren't there because you would know X, Y, and Z if you were there and you don't know these things. You don't know the variables. You just saw a movie and you put something on top of something and you did maybe stuck your toe in the water, but not long enough to where the variables would have arised yet. You know, it's like if you tell me you graduated from high school and you tell me you know your times tables. I said, OK, uh, what would you get in your algebra class or pre-algebra even, which is something you tackle in junior high school? And you're like, oh, we didn't get to that. You mean to tell me you graduated from the 12th grade and throughout years one through 12, you never discussed pre-algebra at one time? No, nah, no, nah, we're getting into fractions. I said, it's true that you went to school, but I can tell about what level of grade you went to depending on what you know. It's just the same as um, like when they take assessment tests. When you go to a new school, they want to know where to place you. Accelerated class, the, uh, the, the average or the slow class to try to bring you up. They give you a, an entry exam. See, that exam will tell them what grade you belong in. You don't have to tell them, well, I left off in 11th grade. They say, no, you're reading at a fifth grade level. You will start at fifth grade slash sixth grade reading to pick up from here. We're not going to take you from a fifth grade level to a 12th, but I'm in the 12th. No, but see, the test says otherwise. You can't read and comprehend at a 12th grade pace on a 12th grade level. So you don't have to lie to me and tell me that you graduated from high school. I can see that you're reading and writing and arithmetic scores all at a fourth and fifth grade level. I know exactly when you quit. I know exactly when you dropped off. Math gives the answer to everything. You know, I can, the numbers tell me that this is the level that you're on. So I don't care if you're 40 years old, we got to pick up from the sixth grade because I can't start you with trigonometry because I feel you should know it at this age. See, I can tell 
from the assessment test who's telling the truth and who's not. You know, because I know how to do trigonometry. See, I went all the way through. So when you tell me, yeah, you know, in high school, we was, we was on fractions in the 11th grade. I said, not unless you was in a slow class. I don't think you were doing fractions in the 11th grade and long division. You learned that a little earlier than that. Next, you're going to tell me y'all working on your ABCs. No, no, that's kindergarten. No, that's a lie. You're lying. So that's why you don't see me at those functions. Most of those rooms is full of cheerleaders and liars. And why would I do that? You know, just, it wasn't a game to me. Them two bullet holes in my chest are real. You know, all those indictments are real. I mean, these people in my book are real. These are real lives, you know. These are real, that's why I have the pictures. You always see me pictures with porn stars. These are not selfies at the AVN. I'm in hotel rooms. Each one of those pictures, I'm in a motel or hotel room. I said, yeah, this this was real, you know. Yeah, I wanted to ask, um, why are some guys in sales and simps while other guys, like women, come to them or like sex is as natural to them as drinking water? Like what's the difference between one guy and the other? Oh, it's a lot of differences between uh, human beings. There's individual as uh, fingerprints, but I see most guys strike out as soon as they pick up the bat because they have anxiety. You know, it, it stems a lot from that. If, if a man who women are attracted to, that's usually the same man who's the captain of the football team. That's you, he's a winner anywhere you put him. It has nothing to do with the women validating his, uh, affirming his value. It's the fact that how he sees himself and how he carries himself. You know, you're not going to take a guy who's a winner, let's say like a Joe Montana or Sugar Ray Leonard or somebody that really is a winner, and then you put them at McDonald's and they're just on fries. Come back in about four months, I bet you he'll be managing, if not assistant manager. Excellence excels anywhere it goes. It's, it's trans-unilateral. You know, it, it, if, if he's smart at this school, he's going to be smart at that next school. If he skips class at this school, he's probably going to skip class at the next school. So the question really is, why do some men have gynophobia? You know, the fear of women. That's what it really is. You know, it's not the fact, I mean, they just don't have it. They can develop it, but they just don't have it. Yeah, you know, like some people got natural talent. Like, you know, like I'm an intelligent guy, but, you know, I'm probably smarter you know, like uh, there's somebody like Michael Jai White, but I'm pretty sure Michael Jai White is a better fighter than me and stronger than me. He, he could probably kick my ass. Then fight him in your ring. See, when people ask me who, who would win out of, uh, let's say, Muhammad Ali versus Bruce Lee, I say it depends where they fight. If they fight in the boxing ring, Bruce Lee wouldn't last one minute. If they fought in the karate dojo, Muhammad Ali wouldn't last one minute. Because while Muhammad Ali's dancing, he's just going to sweep the leg and break it. Once he's done that, that's pretty much... Then he's going to get him in a Brazilian chokehold and choke him out until his, uh, he can't breathe anymore. Now, if they get in a boxing ring, Ali would jab and straight him so many times, it'd be ridiculous. You know, yeah, Mike Tyson can beat up uh, Bruce Lee. Sure, in a boxing ring. But see, Mike Tyson's not used to kicking. Mike Tyson's not used to throat jabs. He's not used to eye gouges. He's not used to being in a chokehold for over two minutes and have to hit the ground and tap out because he can't breathe and he's losing consciousness. See, in his sport, when you clinch, the referee breaks you up. That's not true in martial arts. Mike Tyson's never been kicked and stomped in his knee. He puts his weight on his front leg as a boxer, and they come off and they use the back leg to steer for balance. Well, in martial arts, your weight is on your back leg because your front leg is usually in the air. 
So if you kick him in his knee with all his weight leaning forward, it's just going to dislocate. He's going to fall straight forward and, and scream. But had you gotten that boxing ring with him, oh, no, he'd knock you to the third row within the first 10, 15 seconds. So it depends on the ring. So if you're smarter than a, uh, uh, Michael J. White and you're competing for women, why try to talk to women when he's the star of the show? See, if you're smarter, only talk to girls in the classrooms where you excel. See, I'll keep my, if, 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 if I'm a mathematician and I'm in an English class and I, and I don't do so well in English class, why would I want to talk to Denise in that class? I'm a loser in this class. I'll wait till the math class, fourth period, where I'm damn near teacher's aid and I'm a genius in there. Then I'll turn to her after solving the long equation, go, Denise, you busy Friday night? See, you have to fight on in your ring. Anybody can be caught by anyone. I can pick up any woman at any time. It just depends on the right time, the right circumstances. I pull her into my waters. Just like when I explained about Kim Kardashian. Why would I take her to Mr. Childs? It's very expensive. She has a lot of money. She knows Mr. Child personally and can bankroll his restaurant 10 times over. That wouldn't impress her. I take her to East LA and we have some street tacos. She's never been hopping down Crenshaw on the lowrider. She's never been to one of those uh, blood or crypt family reunions when it's like 300 of them at the park. See, I can take her to a lot of places she hasn't been. I can take her to show her a lot of things she hasn't seen. But I can't impress her in her world because I'm not impressive in her world. I'm impressive in my world. I bet you she's never been to the player's ball in her life. In her life, she wouldn't know what to do in there. All she could do is cling onto my arm. And when she clings onto my arm for safety, then she's submitting her soul to me. So that's when I would make my move. Wouldn't make my move at the Oscars. She can bankroll half the people in the room. That's not impressing her. No, no. I take her into my world. And when she clings to me in my world because she's never been there, any been there before, then you make your move. So those guys that you say that don't attract that, they just don't understand how to accentuate their own innate uh, qualities at the right time, at the right time. And that's what they don't know because a lot of them suffer from gynophobia. They talk themselves out the prize before they even take the field. I said most men strike out before they pick up the bat. They just don't even understand how to approach. They either oversell or they mistake confidence for arrogance and they use the arrogance or they, they're too scared. It's really not that difficult. You've been speaking since you were the age of two. So figure it. By the time you're 22, you are a 20-year veteran with the English language or with communications. What's all the uh, 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 excuse me, uh, uh, you mean you haven't mastered your ABCs yet? You've been communicating a long time. She's a human being. I, shit, my woman out here is Cuban. She doesn't speak a word of English. I communicate with body language. We do just fine. I'm back out here to girls that, uh, no, because there's other forms of communication. Just like I tell people, there's senses other than sight. There are ways to communicate other than verbally. So it doesn't take me long, about a minute, minute and a half. I can pull them just here the same way I pull them there. I just use different forms of language. I use my facial expressions. I use my body positioning, my body language, you know, things like that. And if I know a couple of sentences or a few, I stick to those sentences and few. You know, you can get a lot further with a smile and a nice hand gesture going towards the shoulder than you can with, hey, what's your name? What's your son? That's not going to work. So, oh, yeah. Like, that's so cliche. Like, you know, when guys say, are you from Tennessee? Or are you the only 10 I see? Or, you know, like they ask, I love your boobs. It's like, dude, she thinks you're a creep. She's not going to talk to you if you say stuff like that. I mean, it depends on the woman. You got to read the eyes. You know, it, it, everything is in the eyes. I can tell within the first five, 10 seconds, just looking at a woman's eyes, what it's going to be. Just like your dog. Your dog doesn't speak English. It doesn't speak your language. 
How come you guys lived together for the past six years and have no problems communicating? You know how to tell that dog to sit up, roll over, time to eat, go to bed, go use the restroom, time for walking. You grab your leash and walk towards the door. You don't have to tell the dog it's time to go for a walk. And that's a dog. These are human beings. But, you know, sometimes you can desire something so much it clouds your logic. And that's what ends up happening. I don't have to speak a woman's language to mack her. Just like I don't have to know how to go. I don't know what roof roof means, but we communicate just fine. I know when that dog is angry. Why? Because it makes the same facial expressions as a human makes. It's, it's, it's eyes crinkle up. It frowns its forehead. It smiles. It laughs. So I know from those body languages what that dog is actually saying to me. And that's the dog. A woman actually speaks a man's language and he can't communicate with her. I mean, that's weird to me. And, but I can help them with that, but not for free. You can go to my website and it's a place under services because I have many clients that I, that I work on with that. And I always follow up with their results because if I can't give you results, then I'm extremely weak and ineffective and I give you money back. But I've never had to deal with that before. They always say, you were right. I say, yeah, because I actually did this for almost 30 years. Where Mac and my life depended on it. You know, it wasn't a sport. I didn't talk to girls at a club and then go home. This is my entire life, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's what I do. I mean, I'm sure your grandmother can cook really well, but she's no Emerald Vagasi. See, she doesn't work in a kitchen or restaurant 24 hours a day, seven days a week, working in different uh, uh, catering situations and different. No, she's not a chef. She's just a good cook. So I tell people it's a difference between a professional and someone that's doing it on an amateur level. And mistakes can go either way you know but I, t I teach these kinds of lessons but it's usually from the guy's anxiety is why he strikes he strikes out before he picks up the bat why well, only get the first base with chicks because you bunt i hit home runs because i swing for the fence if you swing for the fence you will hit a home run or strike out but you're so afraid to strike out that you merely bunt you know i was with um former porn star cheyenne fox for 17 years we were together i couldn't tell you her religion I don't know her politics. I don't know if she's a Trump supporter or not. How in the hell would that come up in conversation? Why would I care? It's not a job interview. I'm macking. You know, if you've seen Purple Rain, when uh, Morris Day was talking to Apollonia, the first thing out of his mouth was, your lips will make a lollipop so happy. He didn't say, so what do you think about this Ukraine situation? What the hell are we doing, a book report? Is this school? We doing current events? No. Oh, yeah, not, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what any of my women's religious or political affiliation was. Never. I've, that, that never came up in conversation. Why would it? I'm trying to insert my penis inside of her. Why would I talk about the Pope? That's not gonna make her wet. <laughs> Everything out of my mouth is designed to get her pants off or make her wet in some kind of way. She's gonna laugh, she's gonna think. No, I'm gonna talk about her or I or we. I might talk about the food we're eating. And most of the time I don't do much talking at all. Just, just body language and, you know, eye movement. Things like that. But uh, no, you just got to be smooth. <laughs> Cream cheese you spread on a veil, baby. You know, instead of it, Todd. Man, please. So what did you think of last night's game? Am I talking to one of my homies? Well, I don't care what she thinks. I care what she wants to do. And if she doesn't want to do it, I'm going to give her a reason why doing it with me is the best thing that she could do right now. Will I do it directly? No, and mostly be in a roundabout way. A woman to let you know when she falls in love. A woman to let you know with her body language. It'll just change immediately. I mean, yeah. Oh.
I mean, you, you got a point. Like, a lot of guys, like, they use, like, dumb pickup lines, and they never, almost never work. Like, if it works for you one time, you got to understand. People have, if there's over 7 billion people on this planet, that means there's over 7 billion fingerprint patterns. So that line works for that girl that particular day at that particular time. That's just one girl. It might not work on her if you had come to her two hours before that. It might not work on her if she had gone to the restroom and came out. See, we change throughout the day. What I eat for breakfast, I don't eat for lunch. How I feel in the morning is not how I feel at night. How I dress in the morning is not how I dress at night. How I dress to the gym is not how I dress when I'm going to a graduation. See, I change my clothes throughout the day. My mood changes without, throughout the day. I don't play the song, same song all day in my car. You might hear a slow song, fast song, techno, old school. You might hear uh, Benny, anything from Benny Goodman to Hank Williams Jr. to NWA. There's no telling what you're going to hear. It depends on how I feel at that particular time. So pickup lines only, it's like saying, you know, the, uh, the down and out is a good playing football. Yeah, but if you run it every play, you're going to have 11 men lined up on that side of the field and they're going to stop it. So you have to change up your plays depending on how the defense is set, what position you are on the field, what down it is, how much time is left in the game. That would determine which play. Time dictates the agenda, not your desire. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I also wanted to ask, like, what do you think about fake martial artists on the internet? Like, there was this one fake martial artist guy. He made this ridiculous claim. That well, I think it's funny. I mean, it's dangerous if you try that in real life. Yeah, like but, this guy, he made this ridiculous claim that he was he won over 400 bar fights. And I'm like, no, you didn't, dude. Like, in, in a real bar fight, people, like, they cheat. They throw stuff at you. They try to jump you. Like, there's no way you won 400 of them. Then ask to see his arrest record. Yeah, and you can also go to jail for that, too. So it's like... Yeah, 400, you know, fights, you've been arrested, 400 bar fights, you've been arrested at least 60 times. So let me see all the assault charges on there. And once you get uh, past 15, like I have in 2011, you, really, you reach what they call habitual criminal, career criminal status, habitual. That means I no longer get bailed. So if I punch a guy in the, in the face, he can bail out in, in a couple of days. I have no bail. I have to sit there through the duration of the trial or whatever. So anything I do, I can be there a year because I've reached that point. And I reached that point in my 20s. So I, I really, I know my last time I had bail, God damn. Well, I didn't have any arrest between that period, but I remember 2011, it was just a permanent no bail. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a felony hit and run. I got to stay there for the duration of it. That could be six, seven months. You know, however long it lasts, because I have a no bail on, on my uh, thing with you. I don't know if that goes on in other states. I don't know how my record looks in other states, but in California, no bail. I don't care what the charge is. So if he got into 400, that just doesn't make mathematical sense. I would have to see his arrest record. You know, I don't know anyone who's committed 400 crimes and never got caught. El Chapo didn't. John Gotti didn't. John Dillinger didn't. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde didn't. I don't know any international criminals that committed 400 acts and did not get caught. That's why we have an old saying, when you're a career criminal, your record reads more like a resume. Because anything you've done for a long period of time, it should show up on your record. You can see my paperwork. Every it reads like a resume. It reads like a who's who, what this man has done, and what he's capable of. Now I've gotten away with a lot more than I've gotten caught for, but it's only some. Don't tell me you've been shooting dice all week nonstop and you ain't crapped out once. That's a lie. That goes against the numbers of of averages, law of averages with numbers. You're gonna crap out. You play dice for an hour. You play dice for 20 minutes. You're gonna hit craps. 
I don't know anyone who can play 20 minutes straight on a dice and not hit craps one time. That's impossible. It goes back and forth. So no, 400 bar fights, I mean, no, no. That's, that's impossible without having that record. I mean, yeah, and then there's also this other guy, you know, he's become kind of semi-famous on like Instagram and, and YouTube, you know, like his thing is called Dust or Detroit Urban Management or something. Like he gave like one, some ridiculous advice where he said, like, if you're in a hostage situation, here's how you disarm the person. And I'm like, okay, you know, a regular person would just call the police because that's insane. Like, why would you tell people to try to disarm a person with a gun in a hostage situation? People who aren't trained, who haven't been through the squat team academy, and you want them to do something crazy like that. I tell people, I, I would break it out like this because I've, I've done everything. I've, and if you're in a hostage situation, there's more than one gunman, okay? It's more than one gunman. If you were snatched off the street, someone had to drive the car. Someone had to grab you. It's always at least two. So if you're in a hostage situation and someone has a gun, what about the other guy's gun? He's not by himself. I can guarantee you that. He's not by himself. He's not going to stop the car, run up, grab the girl, throw her in, put her in a seatbelt, and run around to the other side of the car, crank the car back up before she can hop out. No, there's multiple people involved. So anyone who says that if you're in a hostage situation, you've never been in one and you've never held anyone hostage. So I can tell you how this works. You know, I can tell you how this works because I've actually done it. <laughs> so I can tell you how this works. You can't do it by yourself. It's impossible. Not unless the person is already dead. Now, if you kill them, you can throw them in the trunk. Try throwing one person in the trunk. When you go to close it, their feet are going to come up. They're going to fight you. They're going to scream. It takes somebody else to hold. They have four limbs. You only have two that you're using because you're standing on the other two. So you would need someone else to grab the legs while you grab the arms. Someone else has to hold them down while you tape them up. There's at least two. So once I disarm him, his other friend is just going to shoot me in the face five times. That's what reality is. And I only deal with reality. That's why I say I watch that kind of stuff as entertainment. They didn't actually do it because they don't know the variables that I can explain to you. They've never been in that situation. Now, if you're at a gas station and one guy tries to rhyme you, you might want to disarm him. Yeah, if he looks like he's going to kill you. You know, if, he, if you, especially after you've been shot once. Once you took one bullet, I don't know too many people who get shot at one time who've been shot once. I've been shot on two different occasions. But there were multiple gunshots flying. It's just one hit me. I don't know too many instances where someone at a gas station shoots some guy one time, unless it's an accident. Other than that, it's about four shots that follow that. Because it's, it's, it's an adrenaline. Once that first shot is fired, most of, mostly it's followed by a few more. Not saying they all will hit you, but I don't know anyone who comes in, shoots the gun one time and runs off, except in a cowboy movie or a picture or something like that. That's not reality. I can tell people, I said, you've never shot anyone, have you? And you've never been shot at. It's never one shot, unless that was an accident. You might have been cleaning the barrel, something went off, or you robbing somebody. And if you intend to rob someone, you, you don't need a loaded gun. Unload it. Unload it. Because if you get caught, do those three years for armed robbery. Don't don't do 30 years because your, your your finger slipped. You went in there for money. If you're going to take a life, you go in there and take it and come out. If you're going to take the money, you go in there and take it and come out. You don't mix the two. Yeah, that reminds yeah. me, when you said your finger could go off on the trigger, that reminds me of that famous scene from Pulp Fiction, you know, where they shot Marvin in the face. Yeah, I've seen that happen. People talking, 
and it goes off, but it goes off one time. See, that was an accident. When they shot Brad in that movie on purpose, they both emptied their clips into him. Nobody shoots one time when they're trying to execute somebody. <laughs> Unless it's the government, maybe a firing squad. Yeah, one shot to the back of the head, whatever. That's movies talk. That's movies. That's television. Because one shot usually doesn't kill them. It really doesn't. Even, it has to be, you have to be in a certain proximity with a certain caliber. But you can shoot a guy behind the ear and he just starts flopping on the ground. So he's not dead yet. He's dying. You know, his eyes are bloodshot red. Like, I mean, like, you can't see his pupils anymore or anything, or his iris. It's just red. Like, like somebody poured Kool-Aid in his eyes or something like that. He can't see at this point. He's blind, but he's still moving. He's holding on to it. He's screaming like a chicken with his head cut off. So you pump three more into him. Then he stops. No one fires at one time. So when I see shit like that, I'm like, yeah, you watch a lot of TV. People watch too much TV. And they, they, they fuse it with reality. And then they try to sell it as reality. And people copy that as reality. And then they end up getting killed in, in real life. You know, that's, 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 that's not how it works. Yeah. You know, only way to learn is from observation and participation. Anything other than that is just purely, like I said, entertainment. I've seen those videos, you know, I just, I don't give too much prudence to them. I don't give too much uh, credit or value to them. I just watch them as like watching some girl dance on TikTok. Okay, I watched it and I go to the next one. You know, it's just entertainment, but I wouldn't take that advice. You don't know what you're going to do until you're in that situation. There's, there's fingerprints, there's no blanket situation. What if he's standing eight feet away from you and he has a gun? How are you going to take it? That bullet moves fast. By the time you hear it, I promise you, you're laying on your back. By the time I saw a gun exposed, the next thing I remember in a fraction of a second, I was already against the gate falling to the ground. The, the bullets don't move in slow motion. You will feel it before you hear it. You will feel it before you hear it. It travels faster than the speed of sound. You will feel it before you hear it. By the time you hear it, ah, it's, you're already bleeding at that point. So what if he's standing eight feet away from me as a gun pointed at me? How do you take it? See, you don't know. There's a lot of variables in situations like that. And unless they've been in those actual situations, they don't even know what the variables are. I can tell you the variables because I can recall certain situations. <laughs> oh. Yeah. You know, last night I was watching like an old like 80s documentary about San Francisco street gangs. And I thought to myself, you know, the Northern California, they're more, I guess you could say, independent than Southern California when it comes to criminal organizations. Yeah, I don't know too much about Northern uh, California. I mean, I did time with some BGF. You know, I know a couple of BGF and stuff like that. That's all I know. And I knew a couple of Northanios. You know, we were in a situation together. They were very hospitable, you know, uh, out of Salinas, California. Uh, we all ate together. Big feast. And that was on the street. That wasn't lock up. But, uh, God damn. I just got, I just been through so much. I'm thinking about it now. I've <laughs> How old was I? I'm trying to think. My son, I got to go back to his age. I think he was about four. So I might have been 24, 24, 25 tops because he's, you know, he was born between my age 20 and 21. So, yeah, I would have had to have been about 24 then. Wow. <laughs> I forget things until people bring them up, you know, they come to me like that. But that's all I know about the North. I have a sister that lives in, um, she's from Berkeley. She's not my blood sister, just some, a woman I've been knowing like 30 years and we've just been pals this whole time. Nothing, you know, physical or nothing like that. So she's a little older than I am, so I just refer to her as my sister. She's watched me grow along the way, 
you know, because I, I used to tell her stuff, and, you know, I've gone to visit her. I've only seen her like three, four times, but, yeah, she's up north, but I don't know too much about I'm I've gone to Frisco for, gone through it, and I've been up there to visit her, and, you know, Fisherman's Wharf, but the streets of San Francisco and Oakland, nah, just whatever too short say, I guess, I don't know. You know, I don't claim to know things I don't know. I don't know nothing about that. Everything is Southern California, you know, the wise guys I dealt with, I dealt with them, but to say I know them all, no, I don't. I only know, I'm counting them on my finger, I know about five or six that I dealt with, and one in particular who was my mentor, and I was his right hand, and we were, you know, together every day, but that's it, you know, so that's all I know about up north. I know they got a different get down, because we had some uh, brothers from Oakland that was in Chino State Prison with me, and uh, they kind of, you know, they had their little funny style ways, they had their own slang, they, they stuck to them, they had their own little group, you know. And you can tell the San Diego dudes, they were a little different. It was a lot of, it was some um, Fresno Crips in there and some San Diego Bloods. I've never known Crips and Bloods to be, uh, I'm from LA. So, you know, their get down was different. You know, we didn't know none of the same people. We knew of the same sets and stuff, but we didn't really talk like that. You know, I was basically with LA people. Yeah, the, the reason I bring up the North is because, you know, like, I think like a week ago, I watched a news story where like, MS-13, like there was like a, like the Fed like arrested a bunch of pe people who are like MS-13 in Santa Cruz. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think they're El Salvadorians and stuff. You got some of those in LA, but not the majority, nowhere near. You know. Some I did time with. They had their little group, but it's mostly Southside Mexicans in uh, California prisons. You have have white prisons, you have black prisons, but the majority of the prisons are, well, from Fresno down, Southside Mexico. I think it's Northaniel's up north, but uh, no, it's, it's mostly uh, Southern Mexicans, the uh, the Southsiders. I forgot that something, Cerro Trece, Trece, something like that. That's all the uh, Latino gangs, Mexican mafia, all of them. They're one big uh, powerhouse, you know, and they have hierarchy and things like that. You know, even the gangs that don't get along on the street, when they go to prison, they're one. They're the Southsiders. That's what they call them, South or either Southsiders. Oh, you, know, you also got 18th Street, too. Huh? You also got 18th Street, too. That's part of the Southsiders. I mean, there's hundreds of gangs, and they form one. You know, so, but when they're on the street, they're separate. But when they're in there, they're one. You know, 18th Street, that goes back before I was born, way before I was born. Most of them gangs go back before the 70s. You know, they're from the 60s, 50s. Some Latino gangs in LA go back to the 20s and 30s. So you're talking about great-grandfathers, grandfathers. grandfathers. It's, it's, it's more tribal than gang. These things are old in LA. And I can only speak for LA, really. I mean, yeah, you got a point. You know, like, like black gangs are relatively, I guess you could say, new. Oh, like, since the 50s and 60s. I know the Peace Stone Rangers was in the 50s. You know, uh, Black Peace Stones out of Chicago. That's where the ones from L.A. came from. T. Rogers, he's from Chicago. He came out to L.A. when he was 15. Started the Black Peace Stone Bloods out in uh, L.A. and it's still there. But most of the equipment blood game started in the 70s. I mean, Before then, you had the Slauson Boys, the businessmen and all of that. But Slauson Boys ended up becoming the rolling 60s. But no, they started in the 70s because they were always there. When I was in first, second grade, they were throwing up gang signs. They were always there since I've been alive. Cause I was born in 72. So, I mean, since I've been like four or five years old, there's always been crypts at my school. 
you know, like the Melvin Farmer age. They even go back before him, but yeah, his age group. He's got to be in his mid sixties, pushing seventy. Yeah, and then there's Ayatollah Marv. You know, like I never heard of him. Oh well, they say he's the oldest know. blood alive. Where's he from? Compton. Oh no, I'm, he he wouldn't be the oldest. Well, he might be the oldest one alive, but he wouldn't be the oldest one because they didn't start in Compton. You know, they started on the west side, so he wouldn't be the. He might be the oldest one alive because the oldest one would have been dead. But it would have to, he would have to be on the west side. It didn't start in Compton. You know, it, it it just didn't. That's just not the true history of it. It started on the west side. You know, around the mid seventies. They don't go back to 71, 69, stuff like that. They go back to about 73, 74, 75, something like that. But no, I never never heard of him. It's not one big conglomerate. Blood is not a, really a gang. The gang, it's like Crip is not a gang. Rolling 60s is a gang. Sevenfold Hoover, Hoover Crips is a gang. You know, IVC is a gang. Raymond Crip is a gang. Crip is just confederate. It's just like a, a confederacy. It's like saying, where are you from? The South. Well, there's no place called the South. You're from Mississippi. This other guy's from Alabama. See, there's many states in the South, and they don't all get along. That's how that is. There's no such thing as one Crip gang, one blood gang. Blood is not a gang. It's a, it's a, it's a collection of different gangs who identify with the blood platform. So Black P-Stones, yeah, they're a blood gang in L.A. So are the Bounty Hunters. They're in Watts, Inglewood family. They're different. You know, the, the gang is called Inglewood family, Gangster Blood, or Avenue Pyru. Yeah, those are gangs. But actually, blood? No, that's, just, that's like saying I'm in the mafia. No, you're a member of the Genovese family. This other guy down here is from the Marcello family. See, it's 24 different families. You can't just say there's one mafia leader. No, they're all called the mafia. Yes, but no, there are different sects and different different families. They have different neighborhoods and control different things, and they don't always get along. You know, so it's not like just oh, we talk to the guy from the mafia. No, you talk to the guy from the Banana family. Call it that, because you didn't talk to the Chicago outfit. See, they're the mafia too. And you have uh, Santo Traficante's group down there, the, the Traficante family down there in Miami. See, that's the mafia too. See, you talk to one specific crime family, it happens to, it's part of this big ass thing called the mafia. That's how you have to look at blood gang. So if he's a blood incompetent, I knew one or two guys, but mostly that was on some old, uh, we were selling mixtapes and stuff when I was like 12, 13. You know, and I went to school in Watts, so I knew a lot of Compton dudes then, Bloods and Crips, because I went to school with both of them. You know, but, uh, you know, most people join gangs between the ages of 12 and 15. I, 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 this new thing about becoming a gangbanger, like, I don't even know guys who join gangs in high school. You were already affiliated by, like, 6th, 7th, 8th grade. That's when it starts. That's why their connection is so strong. They didn't just meet these dudes. They grew up with them their whole lives. Their parents work at the same place. They have family reunions together. Then you killed one of them. That's, that's where the loyalty comes from. That's his cousin. That's his best friend. That's somebody he didn't know in 30 years. That's not just a member of his gang. Yeah, guys like, yeah, like Takashi 69 he's like 23 and then he joins the gang. It's like, dude, what? Yeah, that's not even really acknowledged. A lot of those entertainers, they're just playing extortion money, you know, uh, trying to, uh, uh, you know, need affiliation to affirm themselves. And it's not what it, you, that's not, they're not acknowledged. They're just, you got money, okay, I'll say you're one of us if you pay us. Like Frank Sinatra, you know, he gave up a lot of money and he gets to pose with a bunch of wise guys. But trust me, when they had a commission meetings, Frank Sinatra's not there. He's not a made guy. But he wanted some friends that, that were kind of notorious and scary, and it cost him a lot of money. 
So yeah, you can take pictures with them. We'll say, yeah, yeah, Tupac, you down. Yeah, whatever. Keep the checks coming. But no, when they spray paint their partners on the wall, Tupac's name is not up there. He was never a member of any gang or anything. He went to Juilliard. He, he went to music school and, and art school with, uh, with Jada Pink. Those are actors and actresses. That's not his life. <laughs> we don't have high school diplomas. I didn't go to prom. <laughs> we were locked up. We were shot. No. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like a misconception that everyone from the hood is a gangster. That's not true. It's like Tupac, he grew up in he grew up in Baltimore. He also grew up in Marin City, which was kind of a project of San Francisco. But you know, you ask the people who grew up with him in Baltimore and in San Francisco, they they say he wasn't a gang member or nothing like that. No, none of them were. I know Easy E. I knew him from the streets. He was. He was from Kelly Park, Crip for real, for real. Uh, Ice T, he was known long before rapping, not with gangs, but just hustling. You know, Ice T was always around money and stuff, even in his 20s and stuff. Uh, you knew of him, went to Crenshaw High School. Um, rumors say he started from Van S Gangsters, that's a blood gang, rolling 50s, that's a V and G, but I've also heard he was from rolling 60s. Now, if he went to Crenshaw High School, more than likely he's from rolling 60s, you know, but uh, I've heard about, I was they had names on the street long before their tapes came out. Ice T was known before the movie breaking on the street. Easy, easy, the same thing. But uh, I can't think of anybody else. You know, honestly. I mean, but it's just entertainment. You know, you, I, I look at them as the same way I would look at you know any other television show or Miami Vice. You know, it, it's it's entertaining. I like some of the songs. Most of them I don't, but I like some of the music. I play it, and that's it. Like watching a Bugs Bunny cartoon. I don't put no seriousness on it. We're at the end of the podcast. And Mickey, is there anything else would you like to plug in and say? Um, my books are available at Amazon.com, uh, ebook, printed back, or audiobook. Also available at uh, audible.com. All right. Mickey, it's nice hearing from you. Oh, same here. And Cartrell, thank you very much. All right.